Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and I'm a shill for Wizards of the Coast. I'm Andrew Weissel. I'm also a shill for Wizards of the Coast. I'm Carrie Thomas, and I'm retired shill. My best days are past. I'll never be a good shill again. <laughs> you're you're entirely too much of a troll now. They live in they live in fear, Carrie, of your 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 trolls at this of point. My photoshopping force of will into MTG Arena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 just uh, retired and kicking back on the beaches, living off that uh, sweet shill money. <laughs> For real though, don't call content creator shills, especially when they're not even sponsored by Witches of the Coast. If we were sponsored by Wizards, uh, you can bet that sweet Wizards stacks of cash would be buying me a much better microphone. (laughs) So anyway, what we want to talk about is uh, some core 2019 spoilers that we saw from the the new season of Spellslingers. The opening has a bunch of core 2019 cards. One of the ones we saw, the most prominent one, was Apex of Power, which Carrie had actually figured out where it takes place. It's a scene of, like, uh, Nicol Bolas. I won't lie, you guys DM'd me this card, and I looked at the art, and I was like, oh, that's Bolas's Meditation Realm. So I, like, replied to you and then posted it. I still haven't read the actual card text. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the card does. Do you want me to read it to yeah, you? Yeah, go for it. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do this in, in a storybook voice. The apex of power, seven mana and three red for a sorcery at mythic rare. Exile the top seven cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may cast non-land cards exiled this way. If this spell was cast from your hand, add ten mana of any one color. As I desire, so it shall be. That was pretty good. Bolus. I'm I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Let's move on to listener requests. So listener requests this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, We have forgotten to actually say the name of the uh, person who's been requesting uh, an answer from us. So today we're going to mention that we have two for you, both on similar topics. One was kind of joking from our friend Kaburi, who said, tell me all your thoughts on gods, and of course with little music notes. And then the second one is about the religions of Dominaria from listener Miguel de la Cruz, but we'll get to that one in a second. So let's start with gods. Deities in the magic multiverse are kind of hard to pin down exactly, because outside of Amonkhet and Theros, there isn't anything with the real god subtype. And it's not always clear whether deities are real or imagined in a universe with so much magic. And sometimes it's not really clear if there's a difference between a quote-unquote real or imagined god. So let's talk about what's usually referred to as gods in the multiverse. The first and most important are probably going to be world souls. World souls are an intelligence associated with a plane itself, like the will of the plane. We have seen them all over the multiverse. So on Dominaria, there's Gaia, which we'll talk about in a little bit. On Zendikar, there's Zendikar, quote-unquote, that uh, that Nyssa communes with. On Amonkhet, Nyssa communes with a world soul that's been beaten down by Bolas. On Lorwyn... uh, Lorwyn, uh, there's, well, Lorwyn's a harder one. Nyssa communicates with, I guess, uh, technically with Shadowmoor's world soul. She she arrives at Lorwyn um, after she ascends as a planeswalker right when the Great Aurora is happening. And and as, as the shimmery barrier is coursing across the land and shifting idyllic Lorwyn into... Uh, nightmarish Shadowmoor. Shadowmoor's kind of world soul is is taunting Nyssa and scares the bejesus out of her, and she hightails it back to Zendikar. I was wondering, is that is that the world soul though, or is that Una, Queen of the Fae, who controlled the the change? So I'm I'm not sure about that one. It might be Una might be the world soul. People have speculated that Una is the world soul of 
uh, or an avatar of the world soul of Lorwyn. So maybe we'll have to see. World souls, uh, they're usually where you get elementals from because world souls are essentially nature in a world. So elemental forces come from them. Uh, we, we usually see, and I'll talk about this when we go to talk about religions of Dominaria, but we see like on Dominaria, the marrow sorcerers like Multani are avatars of these world souls. Yeah, Dominaria is neat because the Maro sorcerers tend to be associated with a single forest. So Multani is the Maro sorcerer of Yavamaya. Uh, we met Muldrotha, um, spoiler alert, in the last story of Dominaria, which we'll talk about later in the episode. She is the Maro sorcerer of this little sliver of Yavamaya that got transplanted to Urborg. Malimo is Lanawar, right? Malimo is Lanawar, yeah. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, um, get into, we'll get into them in just a second when we talk a little bit more about Gaia. So after World Souls, we have actual gods with the god subtype. We have them show up on two different worlds, Theros and Amonket. On Amonket, as far as we can tell, they are essentially the ley lines of the plane given form. It's kind of weird, like when they die they their mana returns to the ley lines so we're not really sure exactly what the metaphysics of it are but they have a physical presence on the plane there and are gods and then there are the gods on theros which carrie wanted to talk about the gods on theros run off of american gods logic which is that they require belief in order to maintain their status in nyx and nyx is this god realm starry celestial sky that actually encompasses the entire world and there's quite a few that we actually get to see during the original theros block but for the most part we didn't really get to see much of the dual colored gods and that's something to look forward to on a return that is what i look forward to on a return since these are our thoughts on those gods but also we know that there were gods like the fabled god before heliod and if there was a god before Xenagos who took place in the Pantheon before Temple of Abandon was a thing. There's also Cacophony. Yes. Well, oh, yeah, good call. For one second. <laughs> <laughs> Rival god of the city that's killed by Afara. Uh, so Theros is a great one because like, we could talk about the metaphysics of Theros all day. Carrie just did like a very, very brief overview. Yeah, Theros block was great because it pretty clearly explains how Nyx and the gods work. So if you want to get into nitty-gritty metaphysics, that was a fantastic gift of Orthosis everywhere. So the next uh, gods we typically see aren't the gods themselves, but avatars, the avatar creature type. I like this a lot because it's a uh, Indian influence. The word avatar originally comes uh, from Indian culture uh, and Hinduism. Well, probably before Hinduism, but I am not a religious scholar. Shivam, come join our podcast. I like them a lot because they can represent almost anything. So you've got avatars that are representations of, say, a world soul, like Progenitus on Alara, or Gaia's Liege on Dominaria. But then you've got avatars that are on Zendikar. Avatars of like like uh, Halcyon on Dominaria, which is the avatar of the Null Moon, which is just a very cool concept. And it gives credence to the idea that there may not be a difference between faith and reality in the magic multiverse, because people and uh, if there's sufficient enough power, whether it's be the whether it's the power of faith or just a high concentration of mana, it can manifest as reality through avatars. I also want to note I'm very mad that avatars were not the white flying creature types that showed up in Kaladesh because avatars would have been perfect for the Indian themed plane, but I'm going to let that one go. For now, if we go back to Kaladesh, I will rant on it, along with some other things. On a reality note, Corona was also an avatar. Oh, Corona. Yes. Corona was an avatar. Uh, Corona was actually a lot. But. Go ahead. But her card specifically says she's a false god, so we're not talking about Corona. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting about Corona is that 
Corona's metaphysics and the Amonkhet god's metaphysics are very similar because Corona is a manifestation of all the mana on Dominaria, all the ley lines pulled into her, uh, and the gods on Amonkhet were manifestations of individual ley lines. I think the god route is much more satisfying to fans, both because they get an indestructible beater with some really cool ability, and because avatars like don't have that same kind of appeal to them. There's, there's a lot of weight in the word god as it appears on a type line. Yes, perfect. So what I like, yeah, I would prefer that if it's worshipped as an actual god itself, it gets the god subtype. If it is a representation of something like a world soul, I still like the, the subtype avatar a lot. One of the other... Uh, well, two of the other things that get worshipped a lot in the magic multiverse as gods, uh, or maybe not true gods, but angels and demons. Uh, there's a lot of angel worship. A lot of humans in the multiverse worship angels and also worship demons. Uh, on Innistrad, for instance, demon worship and angel worship are basically it, unless you're worshipping <laughs> dark sea gods that we haven't actually ever seen. Kramar's doing fine down there. Just a little extra tentacles on its already tentacly <laughs> body. So spirit worship is also a thing uh, from a whole bunch of different angles because you've got ancestor worship like you see amongst uh, the Abzan back when they still existed. You also have spirits like the spirits on Kamigawa who are not the souls of the deceased, but the spirits uh, like uh, they might almost be elementals or avatars on other planes, but they're spirits specifically right. on, on Kamigawa. Go ahead. Yeah, Ka Kamigawa is very closely and deliberately influenced by the Shinto religion from Japan, where Kami are essentially more nature spirits or just divine presences. So the, the spirits on Kamigawa are, are really abstract some represent like locations, some represent ideas, some represent animals. They are endless in form and function. All uh, used to be under the rule of Okagachi, a grand dragon spirit, but he did. And now they are under the control of, I believe it's Michiko and Kyodai who are that's a whole story if we go to kamigawa who becomes well, relevant, they, we'll yeah it. they're the new they're the new guardians of the barrier between between the realms, mortal realm and the spirit realm kamigawa is another plane where if if you really want to dig into the metaphysical reality of their religious beliefs all that's explained too it's pretty cool yeah, and I should note that they can manifest in the blind eternities because they do it in Future Sight to keep Leshrac off the plane. So then planeswalkers, especially old walkers, were frequently worshipped as gods. We see this everywhere. Like, I think there was an <laughs> old short story about this very minor planeswalker. Yeah, I was... know that one. I recently <laughs> read it. Rathrasa. He, on the island he grew up on, had his planeswalker spark ignite established himself as a god, created a whole religion around himself, then pieced off for a thousand years, comes back, wants to retire, wants to disavow his planeswalker ways. He just wants to start a farm on his home plane and on his home island. And he hires on farmhands, they recognize him as the god, and he realizes, oh shit, I created a religion here a thousand years ago. <laughs> we don't swear. I mean, that's what he says in the story. Quote, oh shit. <laughs> But in the end, he ends up being a little less grumpy and killy and <laughs> gives them their blessings and they leave him be and he's just happy. So yeah, planeswalkers like Sarah and Freyalise, definitely, which we'll talk about what exactly their faiths entail in a moment. But then there are religions that just worshipped planeswalkers in general. A few of those, well, only two of them that are notable. There was the Peregrinator Complex, which again pre-revisionist, but it relies on the old Planeswalker model of abducting individual characters from their home planes to make them fight in battle for you. But the issue was this was a very, very common battlefield, and whenever the losers lost, the Planeswalker just left, and the winners would return their team to their home planes, respectively. 
So a whole bunch of losers, creatures that were summoned, all got the idea that they were unworthy and decided we should worship the planeswalkers who stranded us here and like sacrifice to them, pray to them, and eventually that planeswalker will return and return us to our home planes. So after three generations, the religion actually gets so corrupted that when a planeswalker comes seemingly willingly to return them to their home planes, they're like, uh, you seem like a false god. And they attack him, and he just smites them all. <laughs> and that is the end of the story for the Peregrinators. It's beautiful. All of these short stories are such gems. Um, I I've, I've legitimately never heard that one before, so it's amazing. But the other instance is the Church of the Incarnate Soul, which was explored in Agents of Artifice. It was on an undisclosed plane, and the key part of the church was that they were creating very, very powerful magic and magical artifacts, including a cage that was able to pretty much suppress all magic that was inside of it, so that's how Tezzeret ends up capturing Jace Balaran. And the Mana Blade, which is a weapon that Tezzeret has used on Valtrice and Jace Balaran that severs mana connections. It's not a very fun weapon. But these planeswalkers interact with the church when Tezzeret, or halfway through the story, Tezzeret wants to take over the Church of the Incarnate Soul to acquire all of their power. And Jace is the one tasked with actually taking over the church. And so Jace goes to the plane, but it's also the peak of Jace's character in that story. Jace refuses to do it, comes back, talks with Kaliste, leaves the consortium altogether, they worship planeswalkers, but they also know and want to be able to capture them and torture them with mana blades and cages enchanted to <laughs> absorb mana. So yeah, gods and magic are a very fun subject to talk about because there are so many beings of power and so many great wells of power that manifest that, you know, a lot of things could be considered a god and having the the debate on that is always interesting talking about world souls and what exactly they do, how they influence events is always cool. Plus Progenitus, like Soul of the World on Alara. Progenitus is just awesome. So let's turn to Miguel's question about what are the religions of Dominaria. So there are three big ones we should talk about. There, uh, These you've probably seen a lot on. Sarah is number one. We talked about that a lot. I'm not going to get into Sarah too much. But Sarah worship is very common on Arona, specifically uh, Benalia and Circe. It's also common on uh, Tarissier. And then um, the other faiths that were similar to Saren religion, like the Ancestor from Otaria and the former Benalian uh, Church of Angelfire, both got absorbed into the Saren religion. Then you've got Freilisa's religion, which, of course, Dominaria, like almost all the <laughs> religions are based on planeswalkers. Freilis is currently only really worshipped in Lanawar, as far as we can tell, because it's the last big bastion of elves. However, Freilis used to be worshipped on a lot of different forests throughout the world. Uh, Sky Shroud and Findhorn, when it still existed on Teresier. And, you know, it used to be all nature worshippers once like there was a alliance between the humans and the elves of the forest on Teresier, and they would exchange knowledge and you know they would, they would have both there and freilis herself was a half elf but now she got increasingly xenophobic over time and now freilis worship is pretty much just elves then you've got gaia who is the soul of dominaria maybe she Oh, good. It's weird because we don't really know what Gaia is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So Gaia is the world soul, but I don't think we ever really see her communicating. What we do see are her elemental avatars like Molimo, Multani, and Titania. Uh, Titania, we talked about the other two, but Titania was the elemental avatar of Argoth before Urza blew it up. <laughs> and they all, <laughs> yeah. And they all worship Gaia as their god, and so do like the Fey folk or whoever is in the um, whoever is in their forests that aren't maybe not maybe not the elves, but back in the day the elves maybe some elves. It's not really clear. We don't get a whole lot of information on that. But yeah, Gaia is interesting because 
they pray to her and then like miracles literally happen. You know, the only reason Yavamaya was saved is because Multani would be like, Gaia, I need your help. And then like some new thing would happen, like the Kavu would pop out of the ground or yeah, so I that that moment in invasion, Multani is is just like Gaia, I know you're kind of fickle and sometimes you don't like peeps, but we really need your help right now. And she she sends she sends the Kavu out of the ground, she turns Frexians into the woodmen, she summons gigantic slug-like saplings sends like like just like dumps a bucket of nature stuff <laughs> on Multani and they just start wrecking Frexians left and right. That's <laughs> the tree folk too, right? The, yeah. the big mm-hmm. um I'm blanking on the name. Starts with an M. Magnagoth. Yep, there we go. I can't believe I pulled that out. <laughs> there <laughs> So, Andrew, why don't you talk about the faiths of your favorite place? Yeah, there's a lot of faiths that don't exist anymore on Dominaria, or sort of existed still, but not as much as they used to be. There were two big ones on Sarpedia, between the rival human factions of Acacia and the Ebon Hand. So, we we talked about avatars earlier, and how they can be... Whatever it is that they represent, they get to be worshipped as gods. So there's the Order of Leetber, which was set up in Acacia, that worshipped this avatar called the Hand of Justice, who was just this stately figure who meted out justice. Yeah, we don't really know much about what that actually <laughs> entailed. Um, but they, so they were, they had a lot of clerics and knights and soldiers, and but were generally kind of about killing people they were they were not very good at actually striking back at the Yemen hand so so what ended up happening is this guy named Oliver Farrell broke away from the order of leaper and started forming his own hyperviolent cult who then called themselves the Farrellites and Oliver could not keep it in his pants and got in a whole mess <laughs> with the Ebon hand and then they all died anyway because Teversat is great the Ebon Hand had kind of a counterpart avatar called the Ebon Praetor, who still has one of the weirdest arts and old magic art. That's the one with the big bunny on it, <laughs> the, the, the puka. But the Ebon Praetor, like the Hand of Justice, was kind of the, the mono-black manifestation of nefarious black magic, who they claimed, the, the Order of the Ebon Hand claimed, was an avatar of Torak, this old, ancient god that they claim to have started worshipping way back when. We don't really know anything about Torok. Lots of people get mistaken as avatars of Torok. Uh, Timelin, Tev- uh, Teversat's sister, gets accused of being an avatar of Torok by Oliver Farrell so he can kill her because she wouldn't date him. I told you it's a mess. Um, <laughs> there's, even after the fall of the Empire's there are still remnants of the Ebon Hand, where, where uh, cult leaders still claim to be avatars of Torak. This gets explored a little bit in the uh, the same story we learn about Jinue, the other planet in the solar system, uh, Falmer. There's a there's a little anecdote about someone who had left Sarpedia and claimed to be an avatar of Torak and was mad or forced tried to force this woman to be his wife. And then she killed their kids, and then he cursed her so that she would never have any sons and only have daughters. And, like, their whole race, not race, because she's still human, but she she starts a whole lineage of, of mothers and daughters just, just moving across Dominaria and uh, in a nomadic lifestyle, raising daughters, and they all have, like, golden yellow skin and lavender hair. It's It's weird. But is a tangential support of the purple people conspiracy. Because <laughs> it is confirmed that there are humans on Dominario with gray skin tones and yellow skin tones. So there could be purple ones. It might still be true. But um, there's some theories that Torak. What is this, this, this is discussed, I think, in old duelists' pieces. That there's a theory that Torak may have been Gix, the Frexian demon hmm. crater. Um, and that the the magic that 
And Drexaris is to create the thralls was borrowed from Dark Frexian magic, because Frexians also have thralls, as we find out on Wrath. None of that's particularly canon at all, so that's not something to repeat, but it's interesting to think about. We should note that Gix worship is still a thing, because as we've that's seen true. in Dominaria. Although whether it's true worship or like idolization of the Brotherhood of Gix is a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that's another, that's a, that's a... That's a philosophical argument about what it actually means to be a religion, because we we, we, right. we don't know if Rona is is worshiping Gix or is considering him kind of like an old scholar of artifice, maybe. I don't know. Um, so let me talk about Gix real quick. So Gix came over and took over this monastery that worshipped Gix, which was weird. It's not clear whether Gix was his original name, because he's called Gix back in the Thran. But the Brotherhood of Gix worshipped a mountain god also called Gix. So it's not clear if it's just like, for simplicity's sake, they called him Gix in the, the original Thran novel. They were basically Frexian light. Like they would get a bunch of cyborg modifications to their bodies, but they weren't truly complete. They were just minions for Gix, essentially. They and had a habit that, of cutting off their own hands. Yeah. And after after Gix lost his hand. Yeah. yeah, so did the Order of the Ebon Hand, which oh, is another thing that is kind of a tenuous connection between the two. I, I think it would be really interesting if the Ebon Hand did grow out of ancient Gix worship, but that's not canon. And So the Gix worship continued with the Adnates of Soldev during the Ice Age. Yeah, they messed up. Who also made cybernetic modifications to themselves and unleashed all these Phyrexians on the surface and but destroyed their city. But also listen to Tevish Sat at some points so <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there tevish zat's another one where cultists would worship him endless rack yeah endless rack in femoref which is the religious state of northeastern jamura in mirage and visions they worship the sun i actually discovered that today now there are angels associated with their faith as well if you look carefully through the cards but they are sun worshipers the keldon's I wouldn't really say they worship the mountain, but they revere the mountain where their compact with Keld comes from. The Church of Tal was a religious organization that was very hypocritical. It was full of white mages who hunted down other mages. It was originally based on some other ancient sun worship. They fell apart as magic became more accepted on Teresier. Uh, there were people who worshipped Corona the false god and then there's the cabal obviously but there's also like a ton of smaller face on dominaria that you'd have to really really go through all of the novels to name them all like even if you look on the wiki there's a place where you can look up like the gods that's nowhere near a complete list there are little places like verdura that have a feminine god a nature god that the, only they know the the true name of, and there are lots of little things like that that are just happen to be mentioned everywhere, but don't necessarily play a large role. The big three, especially now, again, are Sarah, Freilise, and Gaia. Those are the big three worship and faiths that we know of. Plus, I assume the Femoref faith following the sun still exists, unless they've become Sarans. And with that, we have talked all about gods and religion and magic so let's talk about the story really not even all about gods and religions and magic because there that's you could probably do a whole podcast just on that stuff but oh, that, that was a broad overview a, yeah yes a good overview and if if you're interested uh in in those kinds of things hopefully this will give you some juicy bits to go explore further so the story of episode 12 i'll go through quickly because i know we want to talk about it the last story this is the, the end. last story the finale so there are basically an a plot and a b plot the a plot is the weatherlight getting attacked by yargle from last time the b plot is the battle inside the stronghold so the battle outside uh yargle does not go well they can't do anything about yargle until slimefoot calls his new thalid allies who summon muldrotha which i mean honestly it makes perfect sense right yeah this is great I talked a couple episodes ago that I hope Slimefoot gets a Groot kind of moment, and it does, because Slimefoot chatted with some of the Thalids in Urborg, 
and they chatted with the spirits in Urborg, and Slimefoot's like, yo, can you help, Thalids? And they're like, I don't know, let's ask the spirits. Yo, spirits, can you help? The spirits are like, nah, I don't know, but we know someone who might, and they call forth Modrotha, who, as we mentioned, is a Maro sorcerer avatar of that forest world soul. So, uh, beat the crap out of Yarl. <laughs> well, it makes sense because the Thalids of Urborg have a connection to the Yavamayan remnant, which is itself where the Thalids originated, or at least these versions of Thalids originated mm-hmm. on Dominaria. But we talked about that a while ago. The Weatherlight gets attacked by Urgoros, the Empty One, which gets called a Lich for some reason. Yeah, we'll dig into that next week. Yeah, we're going to talk next week about the continuity errors of Dominaria and get into, really, what's a continuity error, what's a retcon, get into some of the nuance there, and see, you know, just just what the problems were. I mean, it's not going to be a totally negative episode. It's, in general, going to be kind of a Dominaria postmortem, uh, where we just look back at the changes that, I, I guess, the, the results of the changes that were made behind the scenes and what we thought about the things that happened, what went well, what didn't. Exactly. Pretty good. So inside the stronghold, Gideon meets up with Rada, of all people, which is just um, special. Grand Warlord Radha was uh, stuck inside the pit. Uh, when she meets Chandra, there's a funny moment where Chandra goes, Do you know Teferi and Karn? Which is like two random people on one of the largest planes in the multiverse. But no, of course Radha knows them. Because <laughs> they want it on adventures. I still, I still love the moment where, where Chandra and Gideon are about to be attacked by this cultist, and Rada, who's like hanging off of the edge of the arena with one hand, just whips out a knife and throws it right into the cultist's face, and like just a reflex. That's just what she does. She's awesome. Rada is a really great character who gets just a very, very minor cameo in this story and does not have any interactions with the Weatherlight crew or Teferi that I was hoping she would have. But A lot of people didn't like all the name drops that happened just in this episode. But it was, like, it was a little much. Th- there, but there are, there are over 40 legends in this set, and like you could be adding, adding characters who are not in the set, or you could be adding characters that are in the set. So add characters that are in the set. And if they don't get name dropped, then you have people complaining that they didn't get name dropped. And if they do get name dropped, then you have people complaining that they shouldn't have been name dropped. So like you, you can never That's please fair. anybody. Yeah. yeah. I said, I was going to say, I think we can dive more deeply into that next week as we ex- go through line by line with these things, because there is a lot of nuance there that we should really get into. But also, it was kind of, it felt a little cheesy to have Grun wearing the helm of the host, and there were other Gruns, and they were all fighting in the pit. (laughs) That was uncalled for. (laughs) Just didn't belong in the story. It was a little ridiculous that Grun just showed up in the pit, too. Like, how did they even get Grun there? (laughs) That didn't happen. That did not happen. Yes, I know there's at least one of you that uh does not actually read the story and gets your information from us so yes that was that was another example of one of carrie's trolls very early in this episode so slimefoot was extremely awesome this episode liliana after uh um muldrotha gets summoned liliana goes what did you do and slimefoot just waves (laughs) and then that's what it does at it some also point, steers the ship. <laughs> at some point later, someone goes, wait, if we're all out here, who's steering the ship? And they turn and slime foots the wheel. <laughs> that was honestly my favorite part of the story right there. That was yeah, extremely yeah. good. Uh, and, and slight preview to some of the great things about this this set story that we're going to talk about next week. Slimefoot is, I, I think, maybe the single best thing to come out of this set story. There's a lot of good things to come out of Dominaria. So when we talk about it in our retrospective next week, you know, we're going to get into the continuity errors, but we're also going to talk about like the great Teferi character building pieces that we got or Don't give it all away. Slimefoot. Well, I mean, we have we're not going to talk about it right now. Leave the listeners wanting more. <laughs> so Things end up where Liliana is able to get off of the weatherlight to go into the stronghold and help kill Belzenlock. 
by walking on top of spirits that pile themselves up next to the other. Like this, like, like I said, this. There were some really fun things that happened in this story. Uh, Radha, Chandra, and Gideon find the black blade where <laughs> there are all these advanced spell work on these doors and they're like we don't have time to undo this and so chandra just burns them chandra yeah, i should remember en- enchantment auras go away when the permanent they enchant goes away so you burn down the door all the wards on the door are gone <laughs> chandra by the way is really awesome with her control of her pyromancy this time she doesn't like in the last 10 years all she has really done is blast gouts of flame at people and this time she uses like incinerating fire beams and things which is very cool and like actual fireballs yeah there's a lot of pew 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 going on there and it was it was just very very cool it it was it's good payoff for her moments with jaya earlier in the set so they explained that jaya in order to train her focused made her focus on holding a whole bunch of fireballs in the air while also having very emotional conversations so that Chandra could work on her biggest problem, which is her emotional control. So anyway, with the Black Blade, they all head to confront Belzenlock. Gideon can't quite get in close enough to get at him. He gets knocked away, the Black Blade flies out of his hand, and actually like cuts Belzenlock, but cuts him like on the leg. It wouldn't be a fatal blow if it was any other weapon, but Liliana gets a hold of the blade itself, and once she has a hold of it, its dark power siphons away Belzenlock's essence, essentially. Which is a very important metaphysical note, because you know that, you know, the Black Blade does not have to deliver a fatal blow to kill you. All it needs to do is nick you, and it can take your soul, which I'm sure is going to be important again later in the fight with Nicol Bolas. Hopefully. So... In the aftermath, we find out that Karn, Jaya, and Teferi are all going to Ravnica, which was a surprise, which we'll talk about in a second. Only Teferi takes the oath. All the planeswalkers go to planeswalk away. Liliana attempts to join them and finds she can't planeswalk. Then, of course, as we all know was coming, Nicol Bolas manifests on the plane and reveals to her that as broker of the deal with all the demons dead, her debt uh, belongs to him. And he also mentions, finally, a consequence for these deals, which I'm sure Carrie appreciated. We were talking about that a couple weeks ago, I think, that we've never actually seen or, seen or heard why Liliana has to go through with these deals. And Bolas tells her that if she does not obey the deals, the bargain will wither her hundreds of years in like seconds and she will like fade away to dust. What's really fun is that this is exactly what the card Demonic Pact from Magic Origins did. Yeah, you did one of four things, and once you did the three assimants, your last choice was die. <laughs> yeah. Do exactly. you think Tafiri can make a time bubble strong enough to where she doesn't do what he says, and then <laughs> she just doesn't wither away as fast? Actually... That wouldn't... I don't think that's the direction anything is headed just but just that would be cool though like well like bubble her up steven universe style yeah like they make a plan yeah like bubble her (laughs) until they can kill bolus so like she betrays bolus she gets bubbled by teferi (laughs) and uh you know time you know she progresses at like a normal rate because time is so slow inside the bubble and they have enough time to kill bolus and still save her or save her body so that the Raven Man can take over. But that's just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the rest of them arrive on Ravnica and Jace appears. And, you know, Jace in this story is very much playing the... The story kind of needed someone who didn't believe in Liliana. Like all the others had come to, to like her and trust her. And, you know, he acts like a bit of a jerk because he shows up and says, Well, I told you you couldn't trust Liliana. And they all uh, they all immediately say, "Well, no, she's great." M- most most importantly, Gideon started to trust her. Chandra does still show some doubt towards the end of this set story, and the other planeswalkers only just met her, so they don't really know. But uh, it it hits Gideon pretty hard. He yeah, Jay he goes shows back up to and look says, for her. Yeah, you shouldn't have trusted her. I told you she was going to betray you. And Gideon's like, "No, no, I'm sure she's just back there. She's just waiting." 
uh, you know, just taking her time. But he goes back to Dominaria, and Liliana's gone, and he's like, well, crap. But, but, Gideon is ever hopeful. And he hopes that wherever Liliana is, that she is making the right decision, and that she has everything under her control. Which, of course, she doesn't. It was a nice character note for Gideon, at least, to go back. Ever Ever the optimist. And feel, you know, even believing that they were betrayed wishing her the best and that it works out for her well he's he's not even 100 percent sure she betrayed them I, I like he he realizes that she clearly didn't follow them and clearly went somewhere else but he's hoping that she'll work her way back to the group he says he hopes you right he sees her again so i mean it's 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 just very gideon very 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 good boy always putting a spos- positive spin on things it was nice. It was it was a nice getting sentiment. We, we we haven't talked a whole lot about it in the first couple episodes of the story. We we mentioned that Gideon is actually kind of doing a lot of growing in this block too, which we didn't touch on much later. We can maybe talk about that a little more next week. Yeah, I think that'd be good. <clears throat> so anyway, let's let's finish out the story. The Weatherlight crew. Uh, Joyra is kind of sad because she thinks they're gonna have to break up. Only, I think, a few weeks, maybe a few months after they got together. And it's Tiana, the Seren Angel of all people, who mentions, well, we don't really have to return the Power Stone of Sarah's realm yet, just because we killed Belzenlock. Your deal with the church was to destroy the Cabal, and there's going to be Cabal remnants all over the plain as different cultists try and take power. And so there's like a knowing agreement that they're going to keep the band together essentially well they 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 do a fun little comedic comedic exchange where jorah's like why that could take years and tiana's like oh yes yes it could take years and they kind (laughs) of like smile and fly off into the sunset wink uh, at the camera which which should be fun yeah yeah the key point is that they are still able to have the literal story vehicle to zip them around the plane. <laughs> and we should note Dominaria, this story, basically, or and this card set, basically only takes place in the domains, which is, you know, the... For the most part, yeah. Arona and the islands surrounding it going to Jamura. There's some overlap on Jamura and a little bit on Yavimaya, but for the most part, everything is in the domains. So a, another return while taking place all over could feature Jamura, Shiv, and Teresier more than it did this time. And it's not like we have a loose story thread on Jamura. <laughs> Which we'll talk about. So let's move on to that. None of those l- loose threads we talked about really got wrapped up. We did not see the Jaya Joda reunion. We didn't have anything between Arvad and Tiana worked out. We didn't learn what's really going on behind uh, the Sarah's Realm Power Stone. We haven't phased in um, Zalfir. Is there any I'm missing there? I mean, there's still remnants of the Cabal. There's still remnants uh, of the Cabal. Raph hasn't graduated yet. <laughs> I think going into this set, though, we were pretty dead set on Jaya and Joda reuniting, and that would be when the reveal of Limdul as the Raven Man would happen. Yeah, that was pretty disappointing for me. And... Well, so there's there's a good thing there, and there's uh, a bad thing. The bad thing was the Raven Man didn't even factor into the scene between Bolas and Liliana, as you would expect he would. But the good thing is, man, if only Jaya was going to be in a place where Liliana might be in the near future. <laughs> you know, so while Joda won't be there, there's still the opportunity for Jaya to give the Limdul backstory on Ravnica. Yeah, which will be so. interesting. So the Planeswalker roster for Ravnica, regardless of cards in the set, what do you guys actually think as far as character presence? So I have two that I really want to see that we don't already know outside of the Gatewatch, Jaya, and Karn. And I'm counting Teferi as one of the Gatewatch now. Yeah, I want Dak Faden. <laughs> the greatest thief in the multiverse because he is his home is Ravnica as well and he would factor in so perfectly especially with like a sabotage plot and Kaya ghost assassin 
because in order the the orzov are just going to do whatever profits them most and the uh the obzadot really needs killing and we have a ghostbuster ready to go do you think Tesa would drag the obzadot as a whole in a different direction when it came to if it came to siding with bolas or siding with other ravnican groups i think Tesa would side with the good guys like she's always done. So Tesa, she is not the perfect person. She's a little <laughs> Ayn Randian. But when it comes down to the greater good, she realizes that, you know, these these cackling supervillains are, are not good for business and will work with people to defeat them yeah. and invest resources in defeating them. Any thoughts, Andrew? Uh, I predict Vraska and Ralzarek will be involved. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Was that you, the joke you were going to do? No. Um, I actually no, entirely forgot that they would factor into the plot at all. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and uh, probably Tezzerin, I guess. Do you guys think there will be any deal for Ral to become a guild leader by Bolas in the similar fashion to what happened with Vraska? So that's a good extra question there. Uh, I think yes. I wrote a whole article on it last November. It was my first article for Gathering Magic, actually, where everything that was going on with Ral makes more sense in context of Fresca. With Ral in control of the Izzet, or as... Well, what I think is really going to happen is there's going to be a bit of a civil war as Tesa fights with the Absidot. We have that conflict set up. We have Vraska and Gerard uh, set up. We have Ral versus Niv-Mizzet set up. So I think we're going to see a lot of inter-guild conflict there. What's interesting, though, is that uh, Domri Raid's punk mentality has translated on to the rest of the <laughs> gruel. They're a lot more punk. And I was looking back and I'm like, wait, Domri has that same look. So I wonder if he might find himself in a more important position than his side story last time. Maybe we'll find that Domri's story last time was in the past. We just had we just had a whole set where we had to protect Raph because he's too too young and precious to get hurt, and now we're gonna have to do a whole year on Ravnica protecting Domri because he's too young and precious <laughs> to get hurt. <laughs> so, and then Jace mentions he has work to do. I mentioned this online, but I think Jace is gonna take control of the Demir because literally everything in the story has been building him to this. He tried to be the Living Guild Pact as a legislator, and that did not work out for him. He he hated it, and he was bad at it. But you know what he's good at? Demir-like sneak, stuff. Sneaky sneak. Sneaky sneak. So he has all his memories of working for Alhamrit back, where he did exactly the kinds of things he would need to do to keep the guilds in balance and defeat Bolas. He had all that time with the Infinite Consortium, so he knows Ravnica's underbelly. Yeah, you know, I I can so really he's, see Jace. He's what he's he's like twenty six or twenty seven now. Yeah, and somewhere in there. He's been, and he's spent more than half of that. <sighs> when did Alhamrits? He started when he was like eleven or twelve, I think. With it was th I think it was thirteen. Close, yeah. So he spent about half his life sneaking around, stealing secrets. Um, so that's pretty good <laughs> Demir training, I'd say. The thing that led me to this was the concept art was just like straight up blue Assassin's Creed characters, yes. which is it was like cool. a blue hood and everything. So they look like meaner versions of Jace. So dark Jace, you know, I feel like that's a visual parallel they intended. So the last thing we want to talk about is the Raven Man being revealed as something they're looking at revealing next year, I should mention. Uh, that's from my Nick Kelman interview, which came out last week when you're listening to this. So I jokingly asked, uh, who is the Raven Man? And Nick said, well, we can't say, but I can tell you we're looking at revealing it next year. And, you know, uh, you know what's next year? That uh, Nicol Bolas confrontation on Ravnica, where Liliana will probably factor in. So my hope is that we will see the Raven Man story played out in the third Ravnica set that comes out next year, because right about now is when they would be working on it. And I feel, I still feel pretty strongly that my theory was correct and that the Raven Man just got, is the big thing that got cut out of 
Dominaria story because there just wasn't room for it. That seems pretty likely. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It is just figuring out how it all pieces together after a literal decade of setup is going to be more than satisfying, especially if it turns out we were correct. All right, so final thoughts. I'll talk about this more next week, but... I am very happy that Jaya was revealed as being Mother Ludi the whole time. That one was very vindicating. Yep, feels good. As soon as that art popped out, we called it. And we had suspected it before. We saw the art and really doubled down on it. It was it was nice to see that confirmed and just be right for once. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very glad that the Raven Man still has a reveal pending. And it wasn't revealed to be Bolus when he took control. That it's was one of my bolus. that was my one big th- fear. Is that it can't be Bolus? They would take the narrative shortcut of just making it Bolus. How many times in this podcast have we laid out all the reasons why it just can't be Bolus? If they retcon it, it could be. Anyway, Andrew, final thoughts. Uh, this was a long episode. I don't. I don't really have any. Um, but what if Gix is the original Torok? That's really clever, and I'm going to think about that a lot. Carrie? I guess my final thought is that I'll be having an article soon, because I'm working this entire weekend on it, and have actually planned out what I need to do for it. So, returning to writing after <gasps> two years. La gasp. Yeah. Okay, so I need I need to say something in response to that. So, Carrie's article on breaking down the order of Heliod and Heliod is what got me into theory crafting for magic. And like, I was like, like I thought there was a coincidence before, but I read this article and I'm like, holy crap, they like actually connected all of this stuff. And it's because Jenna Helland and Doug Bear are sneaky sneaks who have been planting this stuff for like a Everyone decade. who works in creative at Wizards is very clever. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.